0: go-getting guys are in love with a hard-to-get girl, the wedding march is sure going to be paced by the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I like them loose. Come on now, have a wife. Connie, I've loved you for a long time. Connie, I think Carl is just about one of the nicest fellows I could ever hope to meet. But I think you ought to marry me. You know a man named Steve Mason? What's the matter? Did something happen to him? He's down at the precinct in a lot of trouble. He claims you might be able to clear it up. The romantic relationships of the parties involved have nothing to do with this case. You've got nothing but the weakest kind of circumstantial evidence. What's he got to do with this, anyway? He's my attorney. Well, he's my fiancé. We're to be married New Year's Day. And what were you doing in the park with this guy, 8 o'clock Christmas morning? Alright guys, welcome to The Tragedy of Cinema, episode 18. We will be discussing the movie Holiday Affair. I'm your host, Jimbo, and Terrence has been down for the last couple days with a migraine, so he's not going to be here today, so I'm going to do this solo. So, normally I ask Terrence a question at the beginning of this, and I guess I'm just going to throw it out to the audience, and I would like you to answer either e- uh, email at the tragedy of Cinema, all one word, at gmail.com, or you can uh, throw it on the Facebook uh, group page, and my question to the audience today is, what is your favorite black and white film? Now, I know there's a lot of different genres, a lot of different eras. I mean, we're talking like The Miracle on 34th Street. You can go Dracula, this movie. So there's all kinds of different ways you can go about this. But I'd, I'd like to be interested. And I'd like to hear what everyone's different uh, thoughts are on that. Also... Um, as of, uh, between last episode and this episode, our Patreon is up and going fully and strongly. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a monthly, uh, subscription, uh, for a bit, lack of a better word, to the podcast, uh, that stays, uh, goes right back into the podcast, helps us get new equipment and stuff. Um, so if you'd like to donate at any amount, I started the donations at a dollar, uh, and you can go as high as you want. But just go to com and search The Tragedy of Cinema. Uh, you'll see different stuff on there about how you can donate and all that. So again, there's no pressure and don't worry if you can't. Uh, you're still going to get the same podcast uh, that we put out. Uh, we just might do some a little extra stuff for our Patreon content. Uh, we're still discussing several things to do. Uh, one of them might be a watch-along uh, where we tell you to press play on your dvd or whatever or or, uh digital and we'll turn the sound down here so we won't be doing any copyright stuff um then we'll just talk through the movie uh but i'd like to go ahead and uh, give a special shout out to our first patreons Uh, we have david martin uh samuel farrell emily iconelli i hope i pronounce that right i mess that up every time and patrick goodnight so thank you guys for being the first patreon supporters of this show um, also, if you'd like to join our Facebook group page, uh, the Tragedy of Cinema podcast group, um, just you're going to have to answer a security question to actually get into the group, and the answer is either Jimbo or Terrence. Um, if you can't get in, get a hold of me or Terrence, uh, Samuel Farrell, or our new administrator, Laura Martin, and we can slide you guys in. Also, if you'd like to leave us a review, uh, we had one review this week. I'm getting ready to read it. And that review was from Magic Man, 1998 He gave us five stars. Great listen. Fantastic podcast. Great banner between Jimbo and Terrence. Never get boring and held my attention. All in all, can't wait for more. But I'm never going to sign that token. Update, he signed the token. That's an inside joke between me and him. So he signed it. So we'll leave it at that. And also, if you have a question or a suggestion about a movie or would like to be a guest on the show... Email me at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do for you to get you on here. And also, we have new listeners. We have new listeners in India. So I believe we're up to 12 different countries. So that's pretty cool. So with that being said, we're going to jump right into this. It's a shorter one and it's not really a major one. And I know Terrence wouldn't have time to watch this movie anyway. Um, But it was requested a long time ago. And, uh, so I'm going to jump right into it. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, it is Holiday Affair. The release date was December 24th, 1949, directed by Don Hartman. The writing credits, uh, Isabel Lenart, who did the screenplay, and John D. Weaver did the story called The Christmas Gift. Now we'll jump into straight into some technical aspects. I know uh specs. This is what Terrence usually does, so this is my first time, so bear with me. The runtime for this movie is 1 hour and 27 minutes, or looking at 87 minutes. The sound mix is mono with a RCA sound system. The color for this movie is, of course, black and white. Aspect ratio is 1.37 to 1. The film length is 2,376.5 meters, or 9 reels. The negative format is 35 millimeter the cinematography or cinematagra- cinematographic graphic Terrence, i terenced it uh process is spherical uh the printed film format is 35 millimeters and so we'll jump into the awards the sad thing is there were no awards for this film but just because there were no awards does not mean that is not a fantastic film because this film is great uh the synopsis of this movie a young man falls for a young widow who inadvertently got him fired. Um, as you can tell right there, there's going to be some comedy involved in this one. But this also has a lot of cast members in it. Uh, some of which we've already covered in other movies, so uh, we'll get to it. So the cast. You have Robert Mitchum as Steve Mason. Janet Lee. Yes, Janet Lee from the famous Psycho as Connie Ennis. Wendell Corey as Carl Davis, Gordon Gebert as Timmy Ennis, Griff Barnett as Mr. Ennis, Esther Dell as Mrs. Ennis, Henry O'Neill as Mr. Crowley, Harry Morgan as the police lieutenant, Larry J. Blake as Plains Clothesman, Helen Brown as Emily, which is Mr. Crowley's secretary. And Francis Morris as Mary the Housekeeper. And as usual, I usually like to try to grab one of the uh, cast members and do a little bit of a biography on them. So for this movie, I chose Robert Mitchum. He was born August 6, 1917 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. He died July 1, 1997 in Santa Barbara, California. His father died in a train accident when he was only two years old. He was raised by his mother and his stepfather. He played the saxophone and he wrote poetry. Was one of four actors with Jack Nicholson, Betty Davis, and Faye Dunaway to have two villainous roles ranked in the American Film Institute's 100 Years of the Greatest Heroes and Villains as Max Cady in Cape Fear, 1962 at number 28, and as Reverend Harry Powell in The Night of the Hunter, 1955 at number 29. He had a long-standing dislike of fellow tough-guy actors Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson. President Dwight D. Eisenhower would never allow any of Mitchum's movies to be played in the White House due to the actor's marijuana possession conviction. He had a photographic memory. He was able to glance at a page and memorize all of his lines instantly, and he rarely rehearsed as a result. I mean, how awesome is that? That would be so awesome. He is considered to be one of the most underrated actors of the Golden Age. The only difference between me... Uh, these are some quotes. The only difference between me and my fellow actors is that I've spent more time in jail. <laughs> and this this is probably one of my favorite quotes. He uh, says, How do I keep fit? I lay down a lot. Uh, Asked what he looks for in a script before accepting a job. His reply? Days off. On Steve McQueen. He sure don't bring much brains to the party, that kid. So as you can tell, there was a lot of animosity or uh, dislike for each other Uh, still here we see Steve McQueen at it again Um, if you remember from our Magnificent Seven episode uh, uh, they did not get along with uh, Yul Brynner Um, so I don't know if it was just Steve McQueen or just that's how he was perceived so we're going to go ahead and jump right into the facts and trivia like I said there is not a lot of information on this movie so I figured we could go ahead and get this one out of the way and still do the film justice Although this modest film was not a success at the time, annual showings on Turner Classic Movies in recent years have made this film something of a minor holiday classic. Janet Leigh was only 14 years older than the boy who played her son in this movie. The baby picture on the wall of Timmy, which is Gordon uh, Gerbert, really is a picture of the actor as a baby, so that's pretty cool that they left that in the movie. This film did not do well at the box office, resulting in a loss of three hundred thousand dollars over three million in two thousand sixteen dollars uh, due to inflation. For RKO, RKO—that's uh, not Randy Orton, but RKO, according to Studio Records. The film was intended to soften Robert Meacham's screen persona after his prison sentence in nineteen uh, forty-nine due to the marijuana conviction. Lionel introduced the streamlined F3 diesel locomotive in 1949 in both Santa Fe and New York Central markings. However, they did not offer the streamlined aluminum passenger cars to go with them until 1952. The toy train in the movie uses the old-style Madison cars, a holdover from their pre-war line. Lux Radio Theater broadcast a 60-minute radio adaptation of the movie on December 18th 1950, with Robert Mitchum and Gordon Gebert Gebert, reprising their film roles. In the kitchen scene, Mitchum gives uh, Lee a Merry Christmas kiss. Janet Lee was to say later, The expression that is on my face of being overwhelmed was for real. Mitchum was later to say, I wanted to make the kiss memorable, as though the characters were never going to see each other again. The perks of being an actor are, at times, not too bad. Uh, Producer and director Don Hartman makes a cameo appearance as a man leaving a phone booth. The address of the rooming house where Robert Mitchum's character is living at the end of the film, given as number 137 Christopher Street, is the address for the entrance for the Port Authority Trans-Hudson Rapid Transit System serving Newark, Harrison, Hoboken, and Jersey City in metropolitan northern New Jersey, as well as Lower and Midtown Manhattan. The address, which has been there since 1912, may have been chosen by the producers since it's not an actual residential address. Crowley's was a real department store chain in Detroit and the suburbs of Detroit. The store was founded in 1909 by the Crowley family. Early on, it was known as Crowley Milner. The first store was a large multi-story building in downtown Detroit where there were rivals to the other large department stores in Detroit, J.L. Hudson. Crowley's and Hudson's always spent lavishly on their holiday uh, holiday to decorate their stores and put on Thanksgiving and Christmas parades. The stores grew a great deal until the 1970s when Crowley's closed its downtown store for good. The suburban locations did well, and the family elected to sell the company in 1985. The Crowley's name remi- remained in the Detroit area, going through ups and downs until the 1990s. You know, that reminds me... Um, with that fact that um, downtown Indianapolis I remember going down as a kid downtown and my parents taking me and uh, there was the decorations of some of those stores um, are still stuck in my mind Uh, I can't remember the exact name of which store it was um, but I remember going inside you know just the window decorations by itself but you would go inside And uh, you would get to ride the train to go see Santa Claus. And you'd get in this little train, and it drove you all the way back through, basically, to the North Pole. And you would get to go see and sit on Santa's lap, get your picture taken. And not only that, but I remember riding the escalators upstairs, and you would go up there, and you would decorate your own Christmas cookie, and you would color pictures. Um, Something you don't see a lot of of today. Um, I kind of miss that. Those of you that live in the Indianapolis area, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of the listeners in your town have had some same uh, similar uh, circumstances. Um, if you do, drop us a line on Facebook or uh, an uh, email, and I'll read them on the air if you guys have some of those fond memories like I do. So just thought I'd throw that out there from a personal experience. Um, the opening credits, the characters and events depicted in this f- photo play are fictional. Any similarity to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And that's a famous uh, saying. Most of the times, whether you read a book or they sneak it in the movies. Um, sometimes they're in the end credits. If you p- stick around long enough and you're reading along, um, they'll throw that in there. Um, so now we're going to talk about a few movie mistakes, and we're almost done. There's, like I said, there's not a lot uh, about on this movie. Uh, when Timmy opens the box containing the train set uh, his mother buys, he quickly rewraps the box, leaving a small amount of the tissue paper hanging on the outside of the box. In the next scene, the paper is not hanging outside of the box. When Connie brings the gift-wrapped box with the train set from her bedroom to the living room, she places the box on a table next to the wall with a ribbon on the box parallel to that wall. In the next shot, the ribbon is perpendicular to the wall. Uh, at the dinner table, uh, after Mr. Or, sorry, Mrs. Ellis uh, makes a remark about Steve's tie, he pulls it out from inside his coat and holds it in his hand. When the camera cuts to a close-up of Steve, the tie is tucked back inside his coat. The film appears to take place in New York City, but the store that Robert Mitchum works at is Crowley's, which was only in uh, downtown Detroit. When Wendell, Corey, and Janet Leigh are dining out, Corey requests two martinis, one with two olives. When the martinis arrive, Corey's martini obviously has one olive, and it appears Leigh's martini also only has one olive. And lastly, when Timmy is taking everyone's picture at dinner with his new camera, there is no flashbulb in the flash. None of the pictures would have came out. So there you have it, a Holiday Affair. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, give it a ch- uh, check, uh, check it out. Uh, it's really well done, um, especially when they're fighting over. Um, those of you that have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There are some moments in this movie that stick with you, and it has kind of become a holiday classic in recent recent years. So we're you know we're turning the corner. It's just now August, so we're getting into that holiday season coming up. So maybe give this one a check out this year. Um, I told you the next time we record, we were going to do The Godfather. Um, that I didn't want to do that without Terrence because that is a big one. And I know he these are some of these uh, sl- slower movies like this. He doesn't mind because he, he's not going to have time to watch all of these. Um, so I've got a couple more of these. I might throw out there when he's not available. Um, so yes, Sam. Sam Farrell, Uh, we will be doing Your Godfather the next time Terrence is available. Um, Also, um, I did a couple of interviews for the podcast. Uh, One is when we do The Godfather, you will actually get to hear Sam Farrell discussing The Godfather. His knowledge on that movie is unbelievable. Um, So we talked about a half hour for that. Also, coming up for a special uh, request all the way over from Australia will be Star Trek First Contact. And we discussed a little bit of that and some about Australia with uh, the requester Patricia Macaulay, And uh, you will be able to hear her and her accent. And it's pretty awesome when her little son jumps on their mark and he just takes over the podcast at the beginning. So we talked to Mark for a few minutes about Batman and Thomas the Train and Blippi and all these other things. So stay tuned and be on the lookout for that. Like I said, thank you guys for listening um i didn't want it to be another week where we didn't put anything out so i'm trying to put out some of the lesser known movies that are still very good that you would see and that terrence wouldn't have the time to see so i have seen this movie it's very good um if you like holiday movies and love stories and all that um check it out uh thanks again uh if you haven't left us a review uh go to itunes uh, and while i'm talking about that if you haven't left us review, please leave us a review on itunes because that's the quickest way for us to move up in the charts but also If you're in a a different country, I discovered this week that I cannot see the reviews that you guys have left. So if somebody is over in Spain or France or Britain, um, I have somebody in Australia that's going to be keeping an eye out, uh, please email those to me. I'd like to read them on the air, but I just do not have visibility to them. So if you can send those to thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com, I will read those on the air. And I don't want to forget about everybody. So thanks to all our listeners. Um, it's been fun. It's a hobby. I enjoy it, uh, even though it's a lot of hard work at times. And uh, it's it's worth it, I think. Uh, so we enjoy doing it. So sorry this is a shorter episode, but like I said, some of these movies, there is just not enough time or not enough information uh, for these movies, that, uh, but they still should be talked about and they still should be seen at least once. So with that being said, I think that's a wrap on this episode. And cut.